Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Care Patrol of Connecticut in New York is your number one partner for securing safe senior living options and navigating the senior care continuum. Their services are at no cost to you, and they guide you through the entire process. Visit www.carepatrolct.com for details. Joining us right now is Mark Fitch, an investigative reporter with CT Inside Investigator, and he is going to give us a part two uh, on a conversation I thought was worth continuing to have on the state of our family court system. Joining us as well as Christine Cacciola, who is a, uh, a social worker, but really has carved out a career in understanding and creating, to some extent, the term of coercive control. She sits on the National uh, Foundation uh, Against Domestic Violence, and um, in all ways has become an expert via her writing and her speaking on what are the elements of coercive control. Mark and Christine, thank you so much. Both of you, welcome back to the show today. Hi. Hi, thank Hello, you. Lisa. Hi. So, Mark, you did a brilliant deep dive into the family court system, and I felt like we only got to skate through a little bit of it. Uh, in the time since we've been on the air, what has been the feedback that you have gotten? Have you gotten any? Um, have you gotten any feedback at all from the court system itself that said that you were incorrect, or what? Have you gotten any feedback from the courts? No, none at all. Um, what I what I have received are I mean, a lot of emails, messages. Um, Twitter, you know, Twitter, Twitter tags, whatever, um, from women who have been affected by this. Uh, and, you know, a, a number of, you know, bad stories that, you know, you, you, you can take them at face value or not, but it's just there. It, what it said to me is there is a real uh, need and desire uh, by women out there to, have something change in this that so they feel like they're they're really being wronged and you know it was a, a tragedy over the Memorial Day weekend uh, an email went out from a, a woman in New York a former prosecutor so you know clearly somebody who knew their way around the court system had you know chosen to end her life you know and cited specifically the family court system in New York you know preventing her from seeing her children uh, this this ongoing divorce battle uh, so, you know, the, what was the her name? outreach and out, what was her uh, name? I, I don't recall her name is, off the top of my head right Christine, now. Catherine Kastanoff. Catherine Kastanoff. There you go. That's right. And but, I read um, that. 
I read that whole thing myself. I want to know, Mark or Christine, did she end her life? Did she? Uh, So we don't have confirmation right now, but she did actually, um, she had terminal cancer. It was the third time she had cancer. And she just basically explained to everyone that she was going to participate in assisted suicide in Switzerland because she could no longer take the physical or psychological pain of being totally removed, erased from her children's lives. And we had a vigil on Monday evening in Larchmont, about a block away from her family home where she was evicted from it. Again, she worked for Cuomo. I mean, this is not just anyone. She went to Dartmouth. This is an Ivy League trained person who did everything right. She actually exposed the child evaluator who um, had a relationship with the judge who made a decision, agreed with the evaluator to remove her from her children's home because she was actually accused of alienation when she has video after video after video of her husband being abusive to her verbally it's course of control it doesn't always have to be physically violent but verbally assaultive to her in so many ways and to her children um it's just an absolutely heartbreaking case Uh, we also have a young lady named michaela who recently was forced into the care of her abuser um, because these these abusers are basically manipulating the court system And she committed suicide last week. So we are really um, a young woman, a young child, basically committed suicide. So, yeah, what we're talking about is really the reprehensible behavior of the of the family court system. Um, Not, of course, everyone, but certainly there are some players here that are harming individuals, as Mark's article highlights. So thank you very much, Christine. So and Mark. So you're getting basically confirmation, reinforcement of the work that you did that, in fact, it's resonating with a lot of women here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I continue to get them. Uh, you know, I'm, having, I'm having a couple phone calls, email exchanges, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's these, these, these you know, specific cases are always difficult because everyone, everything's going to be unique. Every, everyone is going to be different. So, you know, what I'm really looking to find out is the underlying system, what's enabling this to happen. And what have you uh, and that's concluded? A, that's, Let me ask you, Mark, you know, what have you concluded? What are some of the underlying systemic issues, flaws that are causing so much heartache? What's going on? Well, I'll tell you what I found out so far because I'm not done yet. I, I do okay. plan on following up. Um, but what I'm seeing is that there has been a shift in court philosophy pushed largely by the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts that do conduct trainings that, you know, create this uh, association of professionals to whom they, you know, direct, you know, to to whom the court directs uh, services. So it's made up of psychologists, attorneys, guardians ad litem, and they work through the court system to essentially get their members paid for pushing these uh, they're they're called pseudo concepts at this point, not even theories uh, regarding parental alienation and reunification therapy. And it's gotten to such a, such a point that if a woman goes into court, you know, who has experienced abuse by her partner or her children has experienced abuse by their their father, they're being told not to even mention it or else they risk losing custody. And that, that in itself just tells you that this, is, this has kind of gone too far. This has gone insane. I mean, obviously, you know, a desire to have a father in children's life seems like a, a very practical, you know, good thing to do. 
But when it shifts so far, being pushed by a lot of, you know, rights, men's rights groups and other interested parties that are profiting off this system, when it gets pushed to the point that it goes against all common sense, then you have to start saying to yourself, all right, there, there might need to be a correction here because these kind of stories are becoming far too common. And, you know, that that is what I'm seeing at this point is that, you know, the family court system in Connecticut and across the country has been kind of overtaken by psychological pseudo theory or pseudo concepts that we know from his, you know, throughout history, some of these psychological pseudo concepts have done serious damage in the past. And so to have them integrated into the court system and used as a guiding philosophy uh, is is dangerous. Mark, what is the law in Connecticut? Isn't it still that the judge is supposed to find what is in the best interest of the child when it comes to deciding custody cases? Yes, it is best interest of the child, but they have determined the best interest of the child is contact with the father at all costs. And if they if they believe that a woman claiming abuse is lying, and it seems like they believe that quite a bit, uh, then suddenly their their tone kind of shifts to, well, maybe the best interest of the child lies in uh, the father. But they're also, you know, the judges are going off the advice of people trained in this parental alienation concept and, you know, reunif- reunification therapy. So they're being, they're actively pushing these concepts and the judge is assigning a guardian ad litem who is, you know, well-versed in these, these ideas. And then that guardian ad litem makes his or her determination and the judge goes with that. And there's, there's very little recourse uh, for the mother or, or any party involved. So interesting. Christine, go ahead. Yeah, please. So um, so there's 50 states and not one state in our country prioritizes the safety and well-being of children when it comes to custody. So even in Connecticut, when our law changed, Jennifer's law, which I worked with Alex Kazaran, um, when the law changed, we had to change the word to shall be a primary, a primary factor. It was number 14 in the factors in determining custody prior to the law, Jennifer's law. So it's problematic and it's also endemic of the bigger issue, which is a lot of states now pushing for 50-50. There's nothing wrong with a healthy co-parent involved in a child's life. But what's going on is that as Mark referenced, women are not even allowed to bring up that there was domestic abuse. As a matter of fact, Joan Meyer did a huge study. And in that study, she found that fathers rep- that mothers' reports of father's abuse um, were credited 41% of the time. Well, what does that mean? That means 59% of the time mothers were not believed. And that when mothers actually claimed that their children had physical abuse, believed 27% of the time. And sexual abuse, which, I mean, I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Coercive controllers have a pathology that cannot be healed. They like to exert power and control over others. And until we begin to recognize the pathology of abusers and call them coercive controllers, we are handing custody over to everyone who causes harm 
to adults and children, particularly child predators. I mean, anyone who is a child predator will actually access the children by using grooming. That's what these coercive controllers do in the adult relationship. They groom their victims. This is what they do with the children. And so really understanding that even our child welfare agency, I worked for DCF for many years, the child welfare agency looks to include fathers even if they are abusive. And I am here to tell anyone listening that the psychological trauma that is created by a child being forced into a relationship with an abuser is beyond any physical violence. And here's why we know there's more complex trauma when abuse is hidden. When abuse is hidden and no one can see it, the complex trauma to the brain, it changes the brain of the child. And so we have judges making decisions who don't understand trauma. I'm in the process of taking Connecticut's GAL training right now simply because I want to learn what we are teaching people. I already know. I've been told that because I am a coercive control expert, I would never be used in a court of law in the state of Connecticut as an expert, as a GAL. I could never get hired as a GAL because I would never be put on that list because I'm considered to have a bias. What is my bias? The well-being of children. That's my bias. And so it's problematic. I have a case right now where there was horrific physical violence, horrific children being forced into repair therapy by a very well-known GAL here in the state of Connecticut being forced into that repair therapy. They don't want to go. And now the mother is in a double bind. If she doesn't make her children go to this repair therapist, then she is going to be called an alienator. Doesn't the judge know this? Oh, yes, the judge does know this. This is exactly what Mark's talking about. The judge does know this. This is institutional betrayal. This is collusion in the court system. This is happening. I can't tell you the amount of cases that I work with. I work specifically with protective moms who are dealing with these exact issues all across the world. That's why the United Nations just came out, as as Mark has you know shared with us. The United Nations has come out with this information that this is wrong. We also know that, I mean, so many so many agencies, the American Psychiatric Association does not include parental alienation in the DSM-5. The NCJFCJ, it's like the National Court, it's the National Navigating Custody and Visitation Evaluations in, in Cases with Domestic Violence. It's a judge's guide that says we have to look at the abuse factors when we're deciding custody. I mean, we have all this great information, all these people talking about the problem, but we are not shifting in the court system. And until again, we recognize these course of controllers are charlatans. They have oftentimes have money. Imagine if someone doesn't have money and they're living in poverty. And, and what happened with Catherine Kasanoff, Youssef is what she was named after her divorce, is that she actually ended up living out of her car. I mean, this is what are we talking about? This is this is a, a huge significant problem and it has to change mark yeah and christine you know that can i have you both uh, stay there mark hold that thought we're going to be right back 203-333-9422 we'll be right back and welcome back to the lisa wexler show we're chatting with mark fitch investigative reporter who did a really deep very worthwhile just read it it's really good and thorough Report on the intersection between. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Between our institutional family court system and policies... And he alludes to a little bit of too much of sort of an old boys network, Mark. I don't want to put words into your mouth. We're chatting with Christine Cacciola as well. But you, you sort of do allude to this uh, camaraderie of, of people who are of the system, formerly were of the system. They're not just boys. They're women too, men and women. But they're very entwined with each other, Mark. Isn't that a big piece of your reporting here? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, you know, it's not it's not just me saying that. I mean, multiple women that I interviewed said the exact same thing, that this is essentially, you know, kind of the, the, the good old boys network. But, you know, obviously, you know, women are included in this. Uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, lawyers become judges. You know, they become guardian ad litems. They, they know each other. They're on the bar association together. They see each other in court. I mean, this is this is how it, this is how it goes. And. You know, before we broke, uh, I was going to say the the story that Christine referenced uh, regarding the guardian ad litem and, you know, somebody being appointed who is clearly, you know, kind of biased. You know, that, that same story came to my desk as well. Um, so, you know, people are reaching out. But, yeah, when you when you get into these kind of closed systems, you know, where you have a professional class that is, uh, you know, degreed in such a way it's not like anybody can just you know pop into the you know start working the judicial system yeah it's it's gonna there's gonna be some back scratching going on and as i said before there's a lot of money at stake here i mean these these high conflict cases these cases that go on and on where there there are instances you know allegations of abuse or coercive control or all these like hundreds of filings that are happening people are making a lot of money on that and you know when you have that kind of incentive, there's little incentive to change unless you unless there's enough of a a, a groundswell. But you know, the judges uh, don't make any money something. on this. So this, I just want to come back to this because you know, I have my own point of view. You know that in my other mm-hmm. life, I'm a probate judge. I love what I do. I I really think the probate system as a whole is is a wonderfully um, accessible system for judges who get right into very real human cases. And I'm really proud of being part of it in Connecticut. No system is perfect, but I'm really proud in general of what we do. And probate courts get involved in these guardianship matters because we end up removing parents for abuse or neglect when there is another family member willing to be that guardian. So it's rarely a mother versus a father. It's very often there is no father. 
The mother is compromised. She might be in jail. She may be an alcoholic, a substance abuser, abandon the child. And there's an aunt or a grandmother willing to step up, right? So I, so I appoint GALs and we, DCF is involved. And, you know, in those circumstances, and this is where I'm, I'm asking you about both about this because I'm not in family law in that respect. I'm not in that piece of the superior court system with divorces. But the GALs under my control are very much under my control. You're talking to me about GALs who are hiring people and ordering people to go to kids to go to camps and reunify. Like that would never happen in my court because it would always be me that was making the order. What's happening in family court? Maybe, Christine, you can answer this. Do GALs have this kind of power? Well, I think that, first of all, there's a lot of um, relationship building that happens um, behind the scenes and maybe some unethical behavior. I mean, I'm guessing like there's conflicts of interest, right? There's bias. And so I think that what I'm seeing and hearing is that that's actually occurring more frequently than we would like or expect. And we wouldn't expect that from a judge, right? Um, But I also think that there's a lack of education. Again, going back to understanding that, you know, alienation is not really, it's a pseudoscience, understanding Mm. where it came from. You know, I mean, I am just a little history, you know, I mean, really, the the parental alienation was propelled by Woody Allen in the Mia Farrow case. So, you know, this reality that there was an alignment with a father who wanted custody of his children, and there was an apparent alienation by the mother, and so, you know, and I would also say that, um, you know, even I in the I just want training- to stop you, Christine. If that's yeah. the case, I just want to say that I read the judge's opinion from the New York State Supreme Court judge in the divorce between Woody, it wasn't a divorce, but it was a custody, you know what I mean, between Woody Allen mm-hmm. and, and Mia Farrow. And what happened in that case was that Dylan was so young and deemed to be so fragile as a human that they didn't want to put her through testimony. So the judge didn't end up deciding on the issue, quote unquote, of alienation. But the judge, and you should read this if you haven't, he totally sided with Mia Farrow. And he said that if he had gotten that case, he was persuaded that Mia Farrow was telling the truth and not Woody Allen. I 100% am aware of that, but I think what happened was that it galvanized, um, it just galvanized this idea that fathers have rights, right? And and that certainly is, you know, that became problematic. Again, like Mark said, I, we've had a switch. In the 70s, we had more women getting custody. Mothers were at home. Fathers were working. It just was expected that mothers would, they were primary caretakers. And really what we have is this this flip-flop, this extreme flip-flop. The, the pendulum has gone in the absolute opposite, opposite direction without looking at abuse. I'm going to be testifying in July on a reunification, um, uh, on a mother who's requesting a father to send the child to reunification camp. I mean, there, I don't even know if there's abuse. All I know is that reunification camp and repair therapy, when a child is attached to another caretaker, is really unhealthy because we're pulling them away from that primary attachment. The attachment may not be healthy. There's other ways to navigate that. But to literally rip a child from the care of yeah, one I, parent I that they're attached to. I had, You know, Mark, until I read your article, shame on me. I didn't know there was something called a reunification camp. 
What, no, what neither did I. <laughs> you didn't know either. Okay. No, so no. Two I mean, relatively they, educated people had no idea. And what is it? And how long is the camp for? And what are they doing in the camp? What kind of uh, indoctrination is going on there? What's happening? Well, it depends. Well, it depends on what kind of you know what what camp you go to. I, as far as I know, there are no actual camps in Connecticut. There is one very nearby in Massachusetts, or there used to be one very nearby in Massachusetts. They, they stopped doing the camps uh, when COVID-19 hit. Um, but they are used throughout the country. And uh, basically, it's, you know, what it sounds like, a camp where the child goes to be, to spend multiple days with the estranged parent uh, under the purview of these, you know, counselors or whoever's running the camp. Uh, in other states, this has been, you know, documented by ProPublica, you know, as, a, you know, these camps can be abusive. They can be traumatizing for the children. Uh, the children are there because they don't actually want to be with that estranged parent, and yet they're forced to go to these camps. And I, I should say that in Colorado, they recently signed uh, what's known as Caden's Law, which really, you know, restricts you know, the use of some of these camps by the court system. So there is, there is some change happening uh, in other states. Sure. But, you, you know, know I, about? yeah, well, I would say that it's called Overcoming Barriers, um, the name of the camp, and that one of our GALs is actually really in charge of this camp. And, um, and, and that most camps are either four days to a week initially. But the idea is think about conversion therapy with young children who decide that they want to uh, identify as gay, right? right? It's this, and we, we hear, we've heard of this, right? I mean, there's a really good, good book, um, Saving Alex. It's out of Utah and it's a child who went through conversion therapy. That's really what we're trying to do in these, um, not me, but in general, that's what these camps are trying to do. They're trying to convert the child from one parent to another. We have had children who had to listen to horrifying fights between their mother and father to get the child to actually turn against the mother. They start with, again, four days to a week. They are extremely expensive, as Mark exposed. Who pays for and them? Then, Who pays um, for them? Both parents, both parents pay for them. And wow. if one parent has more money, then how does that impact the other parent, the parent that is um, in the double bind, the one that actually has to cooperate or they will entirely lose custody. That parent actually has to participate in reprogramming therapy to prevent any quote unquote alienation that they are supposedly doing, which they are not doing. They're protecting their children okay, from so abuse. Christine, we only have a couple of minutes. So this is what I want to say to both of you. But it, I, let me just I, say, Lisa, please, yeah. it goes on for nine. You could, you have no contact with your parent for 90 days so if you've been with a protective parent you cannot have contact with that parent for 90 days and no then way. what they do is they say if you say anything bad about that other parent we're going to extend the time this has been documented this has been wow documented. 90 days so what i want to say is that the bind that family courts find themselves in which is i think at the root of some of this which we have to really get to is that they end up trying a divorce case, but with the underlying allegations of abuse, they end up trying to have to try to find the veracity, the truth of the accusation of the abuse itself. And this is, I think, why, this is my own opinion, but this is, I think, why it is, why we assume that some judges would rather not do that because they are not criminal judges, right? And in the end, it's criminality that's very often being alleged as an underlying issue. So 
I, we only have a minute. I'm going to let you, Christine, because you've done so much thinking about this. How do you solve that dilemma, that there's an underlying crime that's really being alleged in the context of a divorce case? Yeah, I mean, I think that what we're talking about is like some kind of a, I mean, Mark, would you agree, a Ponzi scheme? It's like, it's almost like there's a, some scheme going on here that wants to diminish the mother's role in the family and 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 to elevate uh, a father's rights. And, and that's, I, how do we fix that? I think education, I think we get judges to really, I always say that, you know, judges are doing, you know, some of the hardest work out there, obviously. And and You've we know that when you seconds. go to, when you go to law school, you do not have to take a family court. Um, you do not have to take a course in domestic abuse. And so if they are going into their jobs in the family court system and not even really understanding coercive control, which is the foundation of virtually all domestic abuse, it's based on power and control, not the violent incident model. We have to look beyond that. The and that's going to that's, that's gonna lead okay. people to not understanding. Mark Fitch, Christine Cacciola. We're going to have this available as a podcast on the Lisa Wexler Show. Coming up, news, weather, and traffic. Stay tuned for the next hour here on WICC. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.